Happy day and welcome to Our Power is Within. I'm your host, Chasmith, aka Just Chaz, and I am on a mission to inspire people to take their power back and realize that each and every one of us has a healer within our own self. When we can create an environment that supports healing and get out of our own way, we are truly capable of healing in mind, body, and soul. So I have exciting news today. (laughs) Today is actually my six month anniversary of this podcast. Yay. And you guys, I'm having so much fun with it. I really am. So, um, Thank you for being here with me, whether this is your first episode that you're listening to or your 27th. And yeah, I guess speaking of 27, technically last week, episode 26 would have been the half year mark, but today is officially six months from the first episode date. So I'm very excited and I'm so appreciative of you guys being here with me and, um, a few ways that you could help me celebrate to spread the word is by sharing this podcast with a friend, posting your favorite episode on your social media and tagging me at our power is within on Instagram, or you can even go to Apple podcast and leave a review. This also helps as well. And I just want to say for like the 50th time. (laughs) No. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really do appreciate each and every person's support and being here with me on this journey. Um, Helping me spread this message so that I can share it with more people does mean the world to me. It does take a tribe. Um, And I want to touch base on our challenge last week. We were um, stopping, we were pausing and perhaps taking a conscious breath. Um, I wonder how it went for you. I actually did this a lot more this past week, and I was thinking about you all while I was doing it. Um, I know one of my goals lately is to remember that I have all the time I need to do the things I need and want to do. And I am personally rewiring an old pathway of urgency. So that has been my, my primary focus. Um, so yeah, especially for me to pause when I catch myself slipping into that rush mode has been a huge win for me. And I wonder um, what it's been like for you guys and how it showed up for you. Um, This week, we're actually going to go old school. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and revisit a challenge that we, I haven't um, brought up in a long time, which is to take a different route. So one thing that really helps with neuroplasticity is to change our routine and add in opportunities where we can shift ourselves out of autopilot. Um, As creatures of habit, we can get really stuck And, um, we can end up taking the same route every day, whether we're going to work, to school, or even the grocery store. And this week, my, my challenge is that each day you take a different route somewhere. Um, and maybe you don't drive often. So maybe you're thinking, well, I don't really drive. So that doesn't apply to me, but do you take walks? 
Because I know from per- firsthand experience, I can even get stuck taking the same trails when I walk or the same path. So maybe you walk and you try a different route or a different path. Maybe one day you walk outside and you go left and the next day you go right and you just see what happens. Have fun with it. You never know what you might notice or what you might see differently than you ever have before. And speaking of different, I'm actually really excited to welcome our guest today, uh, Hannah Studley. Hannah is a published author of two books, and she is a three principles practitioner. If you don't know what three principles are, don't worry, we're learning all about it today. Hannah's approach to helping herself um, and others heal from chronic pain is different than many of us might be used to. Rather than focus on a program and the doing Uh, The three principles and her approach is more about observation and insight or sight from within. The three principles consist of thought, consciousness, and mind. And I find um, for me personally that this whole concept of the three principles is so intriguing and it also has this very calming um, effect for me personally. And It is just, um, to me, once again, it's evidence how there are so many beautiful approaches that lead us along this journey that we are on of healing, transforming, or becoming however you prefer to label the journey, but the path that we are all on. Um, We will learn more about the two books that Hannah has written from, uh, from her during the chat But I did want to quickly read one really awesome review on her newest book, Painless. This review is from William F. Petit Jr., MD, retired psychiatrist, surgeon, and board certified in psychosomatic medicine. He says, Hannah Studley's new book, Painless, has the potential to awaken fresh hope to the millions of people worldwide who spend the majority of every day enveloped and overwhelmed by their experience of pain. This state, when left unabated, often results in permanent disability and all too often suicide. Hannah does this with clarity and certainty that would make Candice Pert, PhD, the late pioneer in the oneness of the body body, mind, phenomenon, proud. I do want to make note that just to remember that, um, that pain is, um, yes, often shows up in chronic physical pain or chronic illness, but pain can be emotional pain and mental pain. Um, so I encourage that even if you're thinking, well, I'm not in chronic pain, this isn't for me. I do think there's something here for everyone um, as you learn and come to understand the concept um, of the three principles. It's pretty exciting. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and welcome her to the show. All right, you guys, I have a lovely guest today. Her name is Hannah, and she is on the line with us today to have another fun conversation about chronic pain and new ideas for how to approach healing from within. Hello, Hannah. Hi, so nice to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for taking your time and being here with us today. Um, I have uh, listened to tons of 
just different interviews you've had and different videos you've posted. And I'm a part of your Facebook group. And it's really piqued my curiosity because I know that um, what you teach and the principles, the three principles that you coach off of are, they're, they're somewhat different than a lot of what's going on in, um, in the chronic pain community and what's uh, being circulated out there right now. So I'm definitely excited to bring this new perspective to the audience today. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's an honor to be able to, um, to reach a wider audience. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Uh, and then just so that the audience is aware, uh, Hannah is a published author. She has released two books so far. Her, fir- her first book was Myth of Low Self-Esteem, released about two years ago. And her newest book that was just released December 2020 is called Painless. And uh, that's uh, the book that, for me, anyhow, gained a lot of traction and caught my attention And it seems like um, the Facebook group that she's created is based off this premise of painless and what's called the three principles that hopefully we'll dive into and explain a little bit so that anyone listening can understand what it is we're talking about. And, um, and so Hannah, what I'm thinking about doing just so that people kind of under have an understanding of your background and, and knowing and understanding what your background was that was a catalyst to lead you into writing this book. I was wondering if you could just briefly uh, talk about your experience with healing and what symptoms you recovered from physically and mentally. Yeah, sure. Um, So I had 25 years of chronic pain and I was always told by doctors and chiropractors that my pain had come from injuries that I received in my early 20s. I was mugged three times and each mugging, I received a pretty severe injury. The first one, my skull was fractured. The second one, I had three herniated discs where I was slammed on the ground and beaten. And the third one, um, the top two vertebrae in my my neck were fractured. So um, also recovering from severe PTSD, but the injuries initially seemed to um, heal up and and I didn't have any trouble with them. But then as the years went on, I started having terrible lower back pain that would um, spasm and then like shift my pelvis out of place. And then I'd start getting sciatica pain that would start shooting down my thigh and then into my leg, um, lower leg and into my feet. And then I started getting things like numbness in my arms and the doctors would always say it was coming from the injuries, like the, the nerve for your arm comes out of your neck, you know, like where, where it was fractured. And I always had really tight shoulders. Like even the hairdresser would say, wow, your shoulders are tight. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's just how I am, you know. And I was told it was because of my one leg being longer than the other. That's why my pelvis was, you know, unstable. And that also contributed to the pain. So because I'm not a doctor, I just always, you know, believed that when they were telling me these things. And so... Um, I was actually paralyzed several times with back spasms and thank God it was only temporary, but at the time you don't know that. So it was pretty scary. Um, And I would have these pain flare ups about every six weeks to um, two months um, where I'd have to lie on the floor in agony and crawl to the chiropractor. And just generally, you know, I had this routine going where I had a weak back. Um, And so I went to the chiropractor for 25 years every month, just as like a a maintenance program, as it were. And then when I have one of these pain flare ups, I would go, you know, two or three times in, you know, each pain flare up just to get some relief. And so 
that's kind of how I was and thought I would be coping like that for the rest of my life. I never had an idea that, um, you know, it could go away because I'd never kind of inquired further than the chiropractors and doctors that I spoke to. And then about six years ago, I came across this new understanding of the mind like, that you referred to, the three principles. And I trained as a coach or a counselor um, like 30 years ago. And I've been coaching people, you know, in between my other um, jobs in the entertainment business. So when I came across this new idea, to me, it just blew my mind because it was really, um, it really gave me a vocabulary for a lot of the, the transformational work that I'd already done. And I was so taken by it. I went to London to do a course. I, I live in Israel. I'm in Jerusalem right now. And so I had to save some money in order to, you know, pay for the course, to do the traveling backwards and forwards. And when I was there, I wasn't working here. So I cut out the chiropractor because I was feeling pretty good. And I thought, if I get into difficulty, I can always call her and, you know, um, make an appointment. And then at the end of the course, I noticed my pain had gone away. In fact, I remember very clearly sitting here going and like checking in with my back. And it felt stronger than it ever had in my life, like since I was a teenager. And I was so curious about this that I mentioned it to someone and she said, had I heard of Dr. Sarno? So I hadn't at that point. And so I started reading his books and light bulbs started going off. And I started putting it together how um, with the information I got from him and the understanding of how the mind works, how those two things coming together had enabled me to be pain free for now for six years. So that's wow. kind of a brief um, introduction to how, how it happened. Yeah. And you said six years pain free. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is interesting to me. This is a question I, I, I kind of heard a little of this story before, but I know a lot of people listening wouldn't, which is why I wanted you to share. But a question I was thinking about was, so this, the seminar that you went to that you, for six months that you had to save money for, it mm -hmm. was on the three principles, right? Correct. Yeah. It was, okay, tra it was training to be a, I was training to be a practitioner. Yeah. Okay. And, but at the time, my guess is, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, the focus on these three principles wasn't on chronic pain. Correct. Ah, and so here you are learning about these principles from a diff, a little bit of a different nuance, like not pertinent specifically to chronic pain. And yet all of a sudden the seminar's over and you're like, wait, I have no pain and I actually feel strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. The principles um, are nothing to do with chronic pain. It's not a treatment. In fact, it's the opposite. It's not a technique. And just, just to give a brief, you know, um, idea to, to your listeners is the principles are a description of how the mind works, how experience works. They're the basic principles of all psychological functioning. So my colleagues who have also trained in these ideas, which have been around for about 30 years, use them in things like addictions and family therapy, in corporate mediation at the UN, the Mayo Clinic, you know, they're, they're, because they're principles of how the mind works, it's not specific to any particular department or area of life. And if you're familiar with the phrase, all boats rise with the tide, once you kind of understand this, not only did my pain go away, but my relationships got better. And, and, you know, like I start running my business better and, you know, like it's, it's just, I've kind of um, used it more in my work with people with chronic pain because that's my experience. I've got friends who go into prisons 
or, uh, you know, working with hotel chains and sales um, people, you know, so it's really is an amazing um, universal principle that you can, um, I was about to say use, but that wouldn't be a correct, um, uh, it's just an understanding. It's really an understanding of how things work. I think, um, and tell me if this is, um, resonates with you when I think of, or when I listen to you explain all this, the word that comes to mind for me is embodiment, like principles to just embody, to just be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really is, um, a seeing, not a doing. Yeah. And you say that. And, and the best way I could say, it, um, right now is it's a, a description, not a prescription. Mm, I like that. So, so what we're doing is we're describing how um, human experience works, like the mechanism of it, not getting involved in the content of it. Not content. I like this. Okay. And we're going to go into this uh, a mm-hmm. lot more, but before we kind of circle back and go into that deeply, I just want to kind of finish where we're at. And, and I think this is so fascinating because you're in this seminar for one thing. And yet you have this totally different profound experience in healing your body and originally not connecting the dots, but then you learn about Dr. Sarno and you basically probably have like a light bulb moment where it clicks and you understand why the actual pain healed in this seminar. Exactly. Because I happened to read Dr. Sarno's second book first. I didn't think or know that there was, you know, any particular order to them. And so in his second book, The Mind-Body Prescription, when I read that um, many people had read his first book and gotten well just from reading his books, that made perfect sense to me. I have no problem with that because clearly they'd had a change in their thinking, you know, because how else could they have gotten well from reading a book, right? They they hadn't had any treatment. They hadn't even met him, some of them. And so it was really, um, they really had an insight based on the knowledge he was providing, you know, the medical knowledge he was providing in the book. And so that's kind of what happened to me. I had insights into how the mind's working and then consequently my nervous system calmed down and the pain went away. That's how I see it now. So it really, you're right. There was, there were several light bulb moments where I'm like, Oh, like understanding that those injuries I had that I was told was causing the pain it couldn't be that because they'd healed 25 years ago, you know? And, and the thing that's really funny to me is I still have one leg longer than the other and I don't have any pain. <laughs> so, right. so whatever those doctors were telling me, it was, you know, I don't believe it was, um, they were doing their best, you know, but, it, but it didn't, it now does not make sense to me, um, regarding, you know, what had actually happened. hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And wow, that's so cool. So, Uh, Yeah. Doctors, everyone's always doing their best with the information they have and the understanding they have. I always try to remind myself that, but yeah, we can definitely be led astray for a long time. And I think that's many people's experience in the chronic pain and chronic illness community. Um, I just love that you really were able to, without even trying or practicing just the act of learning about this and then it becoming and living through these principles just to have these other shifts. And I love how versatile it is and how you said this, you, you know, you can use this for addictions and family therapy and all these other practices, but also, oh, hey, it also applies to chronic pain. Is this um, kind of then the premise of how your book came to fruition based on this idea? 
Yeah, because um, once I started seeing that my pain had gone away and, and understanding what Sarno was teaching, I started reading a lot of um, pain science um, and, and people's books and joining Facebook groups and, and kind of educating myself <clears throat> on, on all the terminology. And it's funny, I can clearly remember the day I got, I realized I'd gotten caught up in trying to perfect my medical knowledge, <laughs> right? And I'm certainly not any kind of scientist. And it suddenly dawned on me, what am I doing? I got well without even knowing what a glucocorticoid was or even hearing Dr. Sarno's name. So why do I need all this medical knowledge? Now, being a, a kind of per, the person who was suffering from TMS all those years, it makes perfect sense to me because we've all got caught in that, you know, Googling um, mind trap of I've got to have all the information and I've got to do it right. You know, and, uh, and I was doing it with my understanding um, of, of how the body works. So I, because my first book, um, which is more about the trauma that I experienced and the healing I got from that, I'd actually turned that into a novel. And I found that was a really successful way to get information to people. Because I sometimes think I'm a bit weird and I love reading academic papers and I love reading research, but not everybody does. And I think if you're a, you know, an overwhelmed parent or a, you know, tired teacher, do you really want to come home at the end of the day when your back is aching and read a textbook? Probably not. But if it's a story with characters, I find that people are often a lot more open to, to reading that and it kind of captures their imagination. So that's what I did with the first book and it just seemed naturally to continue with the second book. They, are, they do have the same character in them, although you could read them um, as separate books. Um, so the, <clears throat> the character from the first book, she, she mentions about um, having some, some uh, back um, injuries. And so I kind of, embellished on that and, and fictionalized her the rest of her journey and so she continues and starts searching and so she's doing the searching and she's doing the 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 working out and putting the ideas together and starts um carrying that message to other people and so the the book has really a an adventure novel kind of to it of, of like discovery um, and there's a bit of romance in the end. And, uh, you know, so it's it just I think a lot of people have said to me that it really helped them to, like you said, embody the information. And it makes it more personal, more relevant when you can see uh, um, characters who are struggling, discovering and, and healing. Yes. OK, a couple things come to my mind with this. I'm so glad we're talking about this. So first off, I'm going to read this book now because I'm going to be really honest I otherwise maybe would have not considered reading the, the first book because I can so much relate to what you said. I tend to be the person that just wants to read all the books and get all the knowledge. And recently, um, several months ago, I had this massive light bulb epiphany moment where I was like, okay, this is so much pressure you're putting on yourself. Do you notice how much urgency you're making around needing to know everything and read every book. And I would be reading three at once and it was <laughs> information overload. Yes. So I put my foot down and said, no more. I'm not doing this. I know enough. I need to just be an embodiment. Like I have already been practicing releasing that pressure to need to learn and know more so I love that you turn this into a novel because that is um, definitely a way I can approach it in a different mindset. 
But you know what's so interesting when you're talking about how you turn this into a, um, a novel with a character, it makes me think how you, you had mentioned it helps people to kind of embody the principles as they're reading the book. And it makes me think of nervous system, uh, autonomic nervous system regulation, and how one of the ways we co-regulate is by feeling connected to another person. And that person can be a character in a book or a character in a movie. So how magical to have this novel that actually embodies principles and characteristics that then somebody reading can connect to and experience this co-regulation of their nervous system without even trying. Yeah, because I think that's kind of what happened to me. And And you just said something that made me kind of connect more dots, which is that a lot of the difficulty and trouble I'd gotten into in, in, you know, psychologically and previously in my life, like with the PTSD and was that the stories I created in my head about who I was, what had happened to me. I had a story about the pain. I had a story about the trauma. I had a story about my Hollywood career. And those stories are all made of thought and thinking. And it's amazing how we can get caught up in that. And it starts becoming real. Like the, the, I had the whole story I had about pain. Um, I had a routine. I had even had outfits and I had the props, you know, like the, the heat, heating pad and, and the ice pack and the, you know, the, the, the phone number on speed dial. It was like a whole routine I had. And so once I started seeing through these stories uh, that they're, they're just made of thought that they're not me that I don't actually have to listen to them, I can let them go. I think that was a big part of my healing, letting go of that story that wasn't even real. You know, I kind of yeah. made it in the first place. So what would that look like? Would you just notice a thought and say, oh, thanks, but that's not my truth, and then just carry on? Or like, what is the the feeling or the experience of not giving the thought um, power or validity? Well, if I were to have a, a, a negative thought in the past, I, I, I think that's why I got involved in a lot of different self-help programs and, and techniques and transformational work and all that kind of stuff is because I kind of seen how dark thinking can really mess you up. And, and having had severe PTSD, one of the major symptoms of that is hypervigilance. And so people who've been through a big trauma get, and, and, and when I say big trauma, it, that's completely um, subjective to each person. You know, what's big for one person is not going to be big for another person. It's totally what we all personally experience. So, but for me, because it had been violence outside my home, I got very jittery about leaving the house. And, you know, like the sound of footsteps behind me and things like that. So I was very vigilant about um, my my, uh, circumstances for a long time, understandably. And then as I started getting well from the kind of basics of, of the PTSD experience, I think what happened is I turned that vigilance inward. And instead of needing to be vigilant about my circumstances, I got very hyper vigilant about monitoring my thinking. And I thought this was a good thing because I, I knew, like I said, I knew what dark thinking can do and, and the, the dark places it can take you. So anything that was negative that would come into my head, I would like, that's not allowed, and that's not allowed, and journal that, and write that away, go to yoga class, meditate, you know, and I was busy all day long, like a kind of 
spiritual whack-a-mole, you know, like smashing down any thought that was not allowed. And I thought I was, you know, doing the right thing. I was living in Southern California at the time, and it was very much about searching was kind of like held up as a a very uh, noble practice to keep searching for self-improvement. But what I see now is that that vigilance was actually keeping my nervous system revved up. It was keeping um, my my kind of state of mind in, in one of danger because if if I'm looking all the time outwardly, seeing all the things that are wrong, the fr- the constant frustration with um, that perfectionist mindset of you know if you just parked your car this way it'd be so much better and why are you spending all your money here when you're complaining you don't have enough money there I was constantly monitoring supervising and judging my thinking, your behavior, how the world was run. And that's a lot of pressure. And that's a lot of um, frustration to be carrying around. And consequently, I think my nervous system was getting this message that I was still in danger. And it was like putting me into fight or flight all the time so that my muscles, my my stomach, I had IBS, I had eczema, I had um, cystic acne. I had a whole long list of other, you know, what Dr. Sarno called symptom imperatives. Um, that were just a result of this continual um, hyper um, super stressed out place. Although I never saw myself as anxious or stressed because I was a coach. Remember (laughs) my clients were the ones who were stressed and anxious. I had it nailed about how to handle it. So, but I now see that that was keeping me in chronic pain. And I now see that the pain and and the other physical um, symptoms, because I know people can have a lot of different physical issues um, were kind of like um, alarms that were going off that I just wasn't able to hear. Because like the doctors were directing me and saying those physical things are just organic, they're natural p- result of, you know, like what's happened to you. I didn't know that they were signals that were, it was like my body was yelling at me to slow down, to stop. And I couldn't yes. hear it because I was looking in the wrong direction. So I think what what I do, what I, so any kind of positive thinking, any kind of technique. And by the way, if, if someone has discovered something that helps them, that's amazing. I, I'm, I'm not into twisting anybody's arm. If you have something that is, is reducing your pain, that's amazing. We don't want anybody to be in pain. But what I found is once I kind of went upstream a little bit further and understood how the mind worked, I started to see that those negative thoughts weren't actually the problem. Right. Because it was judging. This is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong. That was part of the problem. What if all thought is neutral until I have a judgment of it? And it's the judgment that I'm experiencing. So, for example, I could say something like there's a man with a dog. Right. Neutral statement. Now, I could say there's a man with a dog. Right. Or I could say there's a man with a dog, right? (laughs) I can put a different spin on it and we can put a different spin on any thought. But the spin is is still a technique, um, a method that I'm using to try and fix the content of the thinking. If I can step back and see it as neutral and not have anything on it, that thought can pass through my mind. It doesn't have to have any adverse effect on my nervous system. And it actually helps my my whole thought life to slow down and peace of mind can come in between those thoughts. And then I get intuition, inspiration, and my innate wellness that I believe is always there 
can then come to the surface and that provides me with new thought, happy thought, better thinking. I don't have to go finding, I don't have to manufacture it. I don't have to analyze those thoughts because like I said, that's going to keep me in the problem. Stepping back, understanding how it works. That is what I believe is, you know, gave me my healing. That is amazing and really well said. And I really appreciate that you had brought up that you're not trying to twist anything or change, um, you know, if somebody found something that works for them to change it, because I always say all the time on the show that, you know, I'm not here to convince anybody, any one tool either. The only mission I have is to convince everybody that we all are self healers and we all have the power within our own being to heal in whatever modality feels right for your soul, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so thank you for mentioning that. And there's so many, oh my gosh, so many questions I have from the notes I just took. But, um, so I really love that you brought up symptom imperatives and the other kind of symptom imperatives that you were having. And so my curiosity, um, is, would like to know if those also just kind of fell to the wayside over time through the six month seminar, or like, when did you notice that, that stuff shift? Yeah, they've all pretty much resolved themselves. I, like I said, I had IBS, you know, terrible stomach problems for, for a very long time. Um, and they had pretty much gone away, um, even before, um, um, my back pain and I started learning this stuff. Um, but one of the things, um, that I did notice two of the things actually that were, um, um, been with me for decades. One was cystic acne. Like in my teens and twenties, I had terrible skin and I had those kind of zits that were like red lumps under the skin, like really painful. They never, you know, came up into something you could squeeze and get rid of. They were just so- sores that would sit there. And I, I'm I'm very British. You know, I my mother was a nurse. You only went to the doctor if your arm was falling off. You know, <laughs> you know that's kind of how I was brought up. Um, so when I was like moved to California and, and I mentioned you know, my terrible skin to somebody, they said, well, why don't you go to a dermatologist? I'm like, is that allowed? You can do that. <laughs> so I went to the dermatologist, took one look at me and said, you have cystic acne gave me a cream. Um, this cream's called Retin-A. And I now see it was to my advantage because it's also used for um, uh, preventing wrinkles. And I'm now, <laughs> I'm now very grateful for my cystic acne because the cream that I used for 20 years also kind of preserved my skin. Um, but anyway, it got rid of the, the acne. Now, I've moved countries a few times. And so there's been a few times when the prescription has, has lapsed or I've lost it or, you know, setting up in a new place, it kind of and whenever I wasn't ta- using the cream, the, these horrible sore lumps would come back straight away. And then about six months ago, um, I went to get a repeat of my prescription here. And the pharmacist said, oh, they stopped making it. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what you- it's a medicine. How do you mean they stopped making it? And they're like, well, yeah, we're not getting it anymore. And I thought, oh, no. And you know what? I've been off this medication for six months now, and my skin is clear, Right. Um, mm. it hasn't come back. Um, How and awesome. yeah. And I'm very grateful for that. So I didn't know that I wouldn't have known that unless, you know, the, the medication was stopped and I, you know, I, it's a great, it's a, it's made from vitamin A. So that I had no, no reason to stop it. Um, and I don't use it now and I, I have clear skin. The other one was, um, seasonal allergies. I had terrible allergies from about the age of five years old. Um, my, my childhood was miserable from 
um, you know, like in the summer, I couldn't, um, I couldn't breathe because of the pollen. I couldn't do sports in school because, you know, I couldn't breathe with all the, you know, out in the field playing sports. I didn't learn to swim because the chlorine in the pool would make my eyes sting. And in the winter, I couldn't do any kind of like hockey or um, long, long distance running because I'd get an asthma attack. Um, and so my, my school bag when I was in high school was like a pharmacy. I had the injections, the inhalers, the, you know, the pills. I even had a terrible, excruciating surgery on my um, sinuses when I was about 17, which did no good at all, but was excruciatingly painful. Um, I then started seeing homeopaths, and, and the, my allergies went away for quite a long time with the homeopathic help. Um, but then when I, I moved here to Israel, it came back because I, I happened to be allergic to olive um, uh, pollen and cypress and living in the Middle East you know you can't go for two meters without, without seeing an, an olive tree so <clears throat> when I first moved here my eyes are streaming I can't breathe sinus infections you know I'd want to rip my head off and stick it in a bucket of water every spring and then the season started getting longer and longer it was just becoming year long and since um, since coming across the three principles um, you know my allergies started to fade and in fact, right now is the beginning of pollen season. I, I saw someone post in our local Facebook group, what do you do about allergies? And I'm like, oh, I'm not sneezing. I'm not. <laughs> like, and, and this is what I kind of learned in my research when I was doing all that, um, that kind of binging on the research. I found this amazing piece, um, which was, it actually was about multiple personality disorder. Now, from, a, from an understanding I have of how the mind works, I'm kind of, I'm dubious about these kind of um, labels, but that could be another conversation. Anyway, this lady who had been diagnosed with uh, multiple personality disorder, um, one doctor noticed that she was highly allergic to cats in one personality. Like you could bring a cat in the room, she's sneezing and coughing like I was. And in another personality, she had no symptoms at all, even though a cat was on her lap. Now, the only thing that's different was her thinking. What is a personality? It's it's a different level of thinking, right? So same body, different thoughts, right? Same same body, different consciousness. And that fit perfectly with what I'm learning and understanding. Now that my, my level of consciousness has changed and my quality of my thinking is different, um, my immune system's calmed down. And I mean, I might have the odd sneeze or, you know, a bit like I could rub my eyes, but nothing like I the misery that I used to have. So that's another blessing of um, something that's healed as a result of this understanding. Wow. And how cool is that? That literally you've been pain-free for six years and now still even six months ago, you're having like a realization of, oh my gosh, this also helped this too. Like add it to the list. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel very blessed. <laughs> That is amazing. Yeah, I love, I've heard um, an example like the one you just gave too about the, most, the multiple personality disorders and how they can have like these different physical reactions to things in different personalities. And it's so fascinating. And, and like my initial reaction is, but how can it just switch so fast? And then I'm like, oh, because thought is fast. Thought changes fast. Thought moves constantly. It's energy. Yeah, I, th that's exactly how I describe thought. Like, I, I have no idea what I'm saying right now, but it's some kind of spiritual energy that's going through my mind. And I don't have to be frightened by it. And once I understand it and watch it go by, like like a cloud, like traffic, you, there's lots of different analogies you can use for that. And once you become the observer and, and you can watch it, 
you can you, you just don't have to be frightened by your own experience which is the the famous quote from Sidney Banks who's the man who put these ideas together in the first place he said if if only people could learn not to be afraid of their own experience that would change the world and it's changed my world um inside and out in the um i used to be terrified by my own thinking and terrified by all my experiences you know what does it mean is the back pain never going to go away does it mean you know like or if i have a crazy thoughts does it mean something about me i i just don't have any of that dialogue in my head anymore i've actually lost interest in most of my own thinking <laughs> it's kind of a relief <laughs> uh yeah oh my gosh so you it just sounds it like when I, when you're even just talking about it i feel the weight go off my shoulders you know and and i think you know I, I don't know what your thought is on this but what i've noticed for myself and i see happen a lot is sometimes when we're going through life and we're in these growth periods sometimes we go to extremes and we almost have to to find our way back to center so you might have like you know the, like negative thinking and blah 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 all this stuff and labels and then you learn you go through this like growth stuff and you learn how all this negative thinking can be detrimental and so we go to this way extreme where like you said you have to like i have to have positive thinking only and you become hyper vigilant and you want to monitor every thought and you want to only feel and think positive good juju and and then you find eventually that that's actually to a detriment you're like wait i'm doing all these things but i'm getting more sick what is going on here and I, I guess maybe we, maybe I hope that we don't all have to, but I know for me, I've always learned so much by going to those extremes and then finding my way back to that middle ground. But I can really relate with you on everything you said about that perfectionist mindset and and that it's not just observing the thought, but now I have to monitor, supervise, and judge the thoughts. And that is heavy. Like that is heavy and exhausting and there's a lot of pressure there and so yeah I've definitely been there and I definitely can admit that I'm still getting through there you know more um but it's just I don't know the way you explain it is just makes it seem so much easier because even when I'm thinking of getting through it, it's still thinking about what, what am I going to do rather than be? Like, what am I going to do rather than see? You, you actually said something really valuable in the, in the feeling, just when you describe the feeling, the pressure and the burden. And, and that's one of the phrases that I kind of picked up from my teachers, which is that you're always feeling your thinking. Now, when my teachers would say that, I'm pretty sure that they were talking about mood. Like your mood is a is a kind of a barometer of the quality of your thinking. So people often ask me, well, well, I can't ignore all my thoughts. I have to work. I have to take care of my family. How should I know which thoughts to listen to? I say, actually, it's pretty simple. If the thoughts feel heavy or urgent or constricted, I know for me that those thoughts are kind of coming from the basement. Like you mentioned extremes. Extremes usually happen when we're in a in not such a good place, like a lower level of consciousness. So I know for me now that if I, for example, um, like you said, I have a Facebook group and, and you know, thank God there's lots of people there and posting lots of interesting stuff. And as a moderator, and I'm sure other people who are moderators of groups <laughs> will know this, sometimes it's very easy to like kind of, you know, you want to control and make everything, you know, and, and I see something and I, I got to post something, I got to answer. And I know for me now that if that urgency is there, I probably should slow down and stop. 
I've started to learn to watch for um, the feeling that comes with certain thoughts. That's how I know whether I'm which direction I'm heading in. Am I direction down down into the basement, into kind of a, a dark place where I'm going to soon be getting reactive and defensive and, and impatient and all those other good things? And I've recently started including Googling in, in, in kind of those those kind of lower levels of consciousness because a lot of my clients, you know, they, they Google themselves into a, a tight corner with misinformation. Um, and so thoughts that are ones that you, you might want to listen to have a lighter feeling. You know, there's just a lightness and an abundance, a a kind of fluid flowing nature to thoughts that are more healthy. Um, So I, I think it's really a really great thing that you saw. Like that, that's what I would call an insight that, that this, this work that I do with people, it's really based on insights. It's, it's definitely not an intellectual understanding. In fact, I find uh, people with chronic pain are usually, I'd know, quite um, uh, maybe above average in intelligence, and that's kind of to our detriment. In the, our intellect then gets in the way um, because this is such a simple way to understand things that someone with a very busy mind can just zoom straight past it, you know, because how could that simple, you know, solution work for my complicated problems? You don't understand what I'm experiencing, what I'm going through, and and it's actually the simplicity which, which um, people often miss, the beauty of just slowing down and being in the moment is then recognizing your innate well-being and your innate wellness. Everybody has wisdom. Everybody has good mental health. It's just that we miss it because we're so busy and, and we zoom right past that. So looking, like Sydney Banks used to say, listen for a feeling, which to the intellect doesn't make sense. But like, for example, if your listeners are listening right now and, and like you said, feeling a little bit more calm or feeling a little bit more um, more in tuned with themselves, that's success. That is what we're looking for. It doesn't matter if you can't, you know, put it into words what I'm saying. If you're feeling better, follow that. Go with that. That's what we want. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and I can actually speak um, speak to this. A, an example I had just this morning, and I'm quite proud that I caught this, but something happened. I don't even remember what now. And I was doing my morning pages, just my little morning journaling for creativity. And you're supposed to just free flow and write whatever comes out, whatever comes to mind. And I instantly noticed that I had this sense of urgency to fix something or, you know, and then I, I literally in the stream of thought caught it and said, Oh, there's that urgency again. We know that the urgency is not our truth. That's coming from pressure (laughs) and that's not leading us down the, like the path we're trying to like go or create. So it was really neat just to notice that feeling of urgency and instantly be able to, um, not entertain that stream of thought. That, that's an amazing insight. There's so much freedom when you start um, appreciating those kind of insights and follow, following that rather than following the negative thinking and digging into the past and getting caught up in the content of the thought. Recognizing that you can step out of it just by having an insight like that is, is really powerful. You, you just reminded me, I had a client um, uh, a while ago, and in our first session, he probably said at least three or four times in the first 20 minutes, I have to be 100% pain-free. Are you going to make me 100% pain-free? He mentioned 100% a 
like three or four times. And I was beginning to feel the pressure of that. And I can tell he was. And I said to him, no, I can't promise that. I don't know a doctor that can promise you 100% pain-free. So I said to him, why don't we take that idea and just put it on the shelf and you and me just have a chat. Let's just have a conversation and leave that over there because that's a lot of pressure. That's a huge burden to carry around needing to be 100% pain-free. Totally understandable, but let's just put it on the shelf for a moment. So we carried on with our session and we talked for like an hour and a half or something. And at the end, I kind of checked in with him, asked him how he was doing, like what did he relate to? And he said, you know what? When you said I could put an idea on the shelf, he said, I felt, I instantly felt relaxed. I felt, you know, even my pain felt a little bit, I forgot about the pain for a moment. He said, it never occurred to me that I was allowed to do that with a thought that I didn't actually have to think it. I didn't have to follow it. I, I said, well, so I didn't have to waste my time for the last hour and a half talking. And he's like, no, he said, because I let go of, like, put that thought on the shelf, I was able to hear what you were saying. I was like, yes. Right? And then I, then we talked for a few more minutes about how there actually is no shelf. It's just an analogy. And once you see that, you know, that even think something like emotional baggage, it's an analogy. There isn't anything heavy unless I think there is. Right. There isn't um, there like even the language that we had with pain of things like a slipped disc or my back went out. That's all language. It's creating a burden. And, and then, then the need to like get rid of it and, and, and feel it. And that's just producing so much more um, energy that's that then we're carrying around as a burden and pressure. Once I was able to see through the illusion of that and it was never really made of anything in the first place then the kind of insights that you just described, just that's what sets us free. And you can actually pop out of a low mood into a better one with just a click of a finger because all it takes is one new thought when you see, oh my gosh, I have been torturing myself all this time with my own thinking. Or, oh my gosh, why am I thinking this when it's not even true? You know, and so I, I love hearing stories like that. So thank you for sharing that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you even were just telling the story of your client's experience, right when you uh, t said that, uh, I felt relief. Like I'm just like being with, you know, connecting with that story. And I'm like, oh, I feel relief for the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I can feel it because I feel it with myself because you just, you hit the nail on the button. Like, holy moly. I was like the most... I intellectualized in my past everything. I mean, every emotion, every feeling, every thought was intellectualized instead of just allowing it to be or feel it, you know, and it, and, and I'm, I'm so grateful for the journey I've been on these past couple of years, really learning what it means to, you know, you know, like you said, Sydney said, listen for a feeling and, and how that might sound strange to an intellect. And I'm, so gracious that I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting to a place where I'm like, oh no, no, that doesn't sound strange to me. That sounds glorious. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah, it sounds relaxing. Something that I have been implementing for myself, uh, it regarding listening for a feeling and what I choose to let go of is, is that thought empowering because I'm on this, like, I want to feel empowered. Right. So if a thought shows up and it feels really disempowering and really limiting, I know that's not my truth, you know, because my truth is always going to support an empowering, um, you know, consciousness. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to, I use, a di- I guess, different language for that. I would say that um, that that power is innate. It's because I think a lot of <clears throat> what, because um, I, I also do trauma work and, you know, work with people with all kinds. It doesn't have to be chronic pain because, like I said, these, these are universal principles. So I work with people with all kinds of different situations, business and um, trauma and um, family problems, all kinds of things. And what I, what, what I see is that everybody has well-being. Everybody has, um, has wisdom. And so a lot of the kind of traditional therapies out there are kind of implying that if you do this work, then you'll get to your happiness or your happiness is out there. Your power is out there. We just have to work towards it. And sometimes when I describe these ideas to people, they go, okay, I get what you're saying, but this is going to take a long time. You have no idea how long I've been experiencing pain or how long I've been in this depression. And I say, well, that's a story you just made up. <laughs> right the, the 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 story they made up was that it's it's over there and so what i'm doing is i'm pointing people back to their own self to their own power their own wisdom their own resilience and there's actually nowhere to go you already have it and when i started this work when after i had that realization that my pain had gone away and i i kind of did um some research i did five case studies with clients and volunteers to see if i could recreate in them what had happened for me. Um, I I had five people locally. um, It was funny. I I put an ad on my local Facebook group asking for volunteers. 30 people replied in in just like a day, you know, because people were in pain or pretty desperate and people were saying, sign me up. I don't care what it is, you know, that kind of thing. And um, so I chose five volunteers, uh, uh, three women, two men. And at the end of the, the, the program that I did with each one separately, they all said the same thing in, in their own words. They said to me how valuable it was to them or, or unique that they knew that I knew that they were well, that I had total faith that they were well, not that they were going to get well, that they were well. And obviously that I always check with people they've been you know, seen by a doctor, that there isn't any underlying you know, organic or structural things that, that need to be addressed. And I think obviously – um, with people who've been in pain a long time, we've seen a lot of doctors and a lot of clinicians and all kinds of um, alternative um, practitioners. And, and we kind of get um, a story in our head that we are that, um, you know, sore neck. We are that, um, uh, you know, plantar fasciitis. You know, our identity starts to like wrap around the, the labels and diagnoses that we're given. You know, that <clears throat> you are that frozen shoulder. You are that um, lower back pain. But I wouldn't. I wasn't talking to them about their physical um, experiences. I was talking to them about how their mind works. And they were. They started to see first of all how much of their thinking mind is taken up with the pain, and that's kind of what contributed to that becoming their identity. But they also were so um, relieved and grateful to talk to someone who saw them as well, that they didn't need to go anywhere to get that. That it was just it'd been there all the time it just had gotten covered up with all the stinky thinking the old ideas the concepts and belief systems that had kind of pointed them in the wrong direction and once they saw through the the illusion of that that it was just only ever made of thought in the first place their innate um power energy wisdom well-being resilience just naturally pops up because it's kind of your birthright like i i always say to people like god doesn't make garbage Right? You you are well. You're you are not broken. You don't need fixing, and and that's just you know all I needed was to be pointed in that direction. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the power of belief is, is strong. And so I've noticed that that's very true when you do have somebody in your corner that's like, no, I believe you're well, like it, it, it's power. It can be a powerful tool for Mm -hmm. sure. Like a powerful guidance. Yeah. Um, when you described how people will even make up stories like, oh, well, I've had this for a long time, so it's going to take a long time to heal. Oh my God, I've done this. (laughs) I've literally said, oh, well, you know, it took me 39 years to get where I am. So it's going to take time to undo all those, you know, Mm -hmm. all that old thinking. It's going to take time. I told myself that like, and so that's even, I just caught myself like, oh, that's something I, that's a story that I still hold on to. And I think I do it because it feels safe to not set yourself up for, you know, it's like the good old, you'd rather just say it's going to take time and not be disappointed, you know, then, then, um, yeah. But you can, once you start seeing that, that, that's, uh, that's was just made up by a miss, an innocent, an innocent, like my teacher, he always stresses innocent. It's an innocent misunderstanding of how thought works. And, and I think once you start seeing that, then letting go of it, is so much easier because it's not who you are. It's not who you were. And so you can actually be well pretty quickly. In fact, I had a, um, an experience um, a couple of years ago where I was at a conference in London where I was speaking and this lady, um, she just happened to mention to me that she'd forgotten her pillow and she had terrible back pain. So I kind of took the chance because I said to her, yeah, I know I used to have that kind of pain. I know what it's like. I said, but mine's all gone. And um, we literally had a five-minute conversation. Now, admittedly, she was at a three principles conference. Right? Um, it's it's like we have an international one all, every year and like a thousand people come from all over the year. Obviously, it's online now because of uh, Corona. But um, the next, it was a three-day conference. The next day, she said to me, you know what, my pain's going away. And by the third day, she said she was 90% pain-free. And she was about to have surgery. She told me she was about to have a TENS machine put into her spine. And um, I... I got her email and stayed in touch with her and she was still you know 90% pain free like months later just from a five minute conversation now it's not always like that I can talk to people for six months and it just they're, they're still stuck on what doing and and circumstances and you don't understand and my MRI says this and and they're they're missing that insight you know and I wish I could make people have insights. If I could, I'd be a very rich woman, Um, you know, but what I find is, you know, you, if I just keep talking about analogies and stories, people just, if they're, if they're open to listening, they start going like you did. Oh, uh (laughs) aha, you know, and, and, an insight, you know, a sight from within that's, that's going to last a much longer than, than, um, than a a temporary placebo kind of um, treatment that's going to need to, have you keep going back to it and back to it and back to it to keep yourself in some kind of um, uh, coping um, phase, you know? So yeah, that's, that was a a, a great insight. I love how you said insight equals a sight from within. I've never looked at it that way. I love words. Yeah, because this is actually an insight I had about insights in the, because I'd done so much, you know, like self help and transformational work before this, I suddenly had this realization that any kind of um, program that is dependent on my willpower for it to work, like, for example, a diet or exercise, they're, they're only as good as my willingness to show up for them. So like with a diet, it's like, you know, I could like 
you know, be really stringent about it for a long time. And then the holidays come and you're like, oh, you know, it's, it's the holidays. I can have another bite. I can, you know, we'll start again after the, <laughs> after winter break, you know, or with exercise, it doesn't matter how good you, your trainer is, you know, if you don't show up then, or we'll start next week or I'll do it later, you know, and, and any kind of work like that, that needs me to put in effort is, is limited to the point that I'm a human being and there's, there are limits to me. You know, there's a limit to my intelligence. There's a limit to my strength. There's a limit to my patience. There's a limit to my willpower because I'm human. And, and I know deep down that I, I'm fallible, you know, whereas if you're relying or you're looking towards insight for change, that sight from within is connecting you to the infinite. And there is no limit to that. Which is why, um, like my teachers who have been teaching this for, I don't know, 30, 40 years now, they are not burnt out. And, and they originally, most of them were psychologists or social workers or, or people in the caring professions. And I read statistics recently where very average nurse, social worker, therapist burns out within three to four years. And I believe that's because when you don't understand how the mind's working, like we're describing, it's very easy to take on everybody's problems and feel that burden and feel that pressure and just burn yourself out. Whereas if you know that you're, you're not your thoughts and thought is just an energy going through your mind and you don't have to be affected and you don't have to do anything on it, you can stick around. I mean, I've been... For me now, it's nine o'clock in the evening. I've been talking to people since 7 a.m. I started out talking to a lady in New Zealand and then a lady in New Jersey and then somebody locally. And and like and then I just spoke to my teacher in, who's in Arizona. And, you know, I'm 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 having a great day because it's it's just energy going through my mind. And I can take what I want from it and um, it's not it's not a burden. It's it's actually a really amazing way to live. That is amazing. Uh, yeah, that feels also like that just feels, you know, ex it feels exciting, I guess. It feels relaxing, but it also feels exciting, you know, to be able to think that you can have that ongoing vital energy. Yeah, because when when you pop up to a, a, a better level of consciousness, like like we, you know, we we've, we've been talking about three principles. We've mostly talked about thought, but consciousness is one of the other principles. And consciousness basically is awareness. Like you have to be awake and aware to, in order to experience this gift of thought. And consciousness, to me, like really quickly, I, I think of it like a like an elevator going up and down. And depending on the floor you're at, that's the perspective you're going to have. So if you're in the basement. You have a very limited perspective and in the basement it's dark there's garbage it's dirty and we get very scared and very limited you know that's kind of like me relying on myself that willpower that I was describing but as you kind of start seeing through the illusion and you kind of your your innate resilience helps you to pop up a floor and then another floor like think of a building let's say a building in Manhattan and you know, on, on the on street level, all you can see is like the people, the garbage, the, you know, the dog peeing on the roses, you know, like it's just like traffic, you know. And then as the glass elevator on the side of that building starts going up and you start seeing things from a different point of view, a different perspective, as you go up, some of those problems that were in the basement might not even exist anymore, right? Or let's say they still exist, like the dog is still peeing on the roses, but you can't really see it. It's not bothering you anymore because you're in a higher place, a better, a better mood. So 
the, how that relates to pain for me is that, um, like, if you think of stubbing your toe, if you stub your toe when you're in a bad mood, right? I want to scream. I want to curse. I want to blame that person who left that there. You know, it's like, whereas if you stub your toe on the way to um, opening the door to get the pizza delivery, you might not even notice that you stubbed your toe, right? Because, hey, the pizza's here, right? You're, it's the same tissue damage to your toe, but you won't even notice it because you're in a better place. And one of the um, uh pain research that uh, really kind of stuck out for me when I first started like researching um, was from Dr. Lorimer Mosley. He's, he's an Australian pain scientist who I, I strongly recommend checking out his stuff. There's a lot of free stuff on YouTube. And he wrote that we only experience pain when it comes into consciousness. And when I read that, I was like, yes, because you could talk about phantom limb pain where someone doesn't even have a limb, but they're experiencing pain. It's not happening in the hand because they don't have one. It's happening in the brain, which is creating thoughts we experience in the mind. Or a, a soldier who's got a bullet in his leg and he doesn't even feel it until he gets back to safety. Whereas I can have a paper cut and it kills, you know, you can't stop thinking about it. Everything is, is re relative to, to my state of mind. And in a better state of mind, like some of my clients still have pain, but being in a better state of mind, it just doesn't bother them so much. And so they're, they're able to heal better because they've got less on it the nervous system is calming down it's so grateful for those safety messages that um that then we're in a so much of a more healthier place that we can you know have pain and not have anything on it or we can have um you could have you know some some negative thinking and not having anything on it and it doesn't mean we're numb it doesn't mean i'm going to be a blob on the sofa it means it actually makes space in my mind for creativity, for inspiration, for intuition. And, and you just start to flourish from that place because you're now, like you said, more excited and more, more present and more alive. Yeah, you have a really wonderful way of um, explaining all of this. I really appreciate it. <clears throat> My pleasure. Yeah, I, it's it's very different than how I usually hear it explained, which is so fantastic. Uh, okay, so I have an interesting question. Um, I want your insight on what like people might be listening to this and be like, okay, yeah, yeah, this sounds good, this sounds great in you know one aspect, but 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 right, yeah. all the buts. Yeah. <laughs> so here's one of the buts I can think of. But what happens when you're like already stuck in? like feedback loops that aren't supportive, like you're already stuck in rumination. So you realize you could potentially catch yourself and say, no, these thoughts, they don't support me or I don't need to judge them. But you're like so deep in ruminating and you can't like, you can't even turn it off. Like what's your advice? What do you suggest? Well, <clears throat> if someone's listening to this and, and they're, they're open to it, I would say, hang on because it's going to pass. Like, all storms pass. And so if you're in a, a rumination loop, which is kind of like what I experienced with my PTSD, what I innocently didn't know was that I was kind of creating it with my own misunderstanding of thought. Once you know that it's that thought is fluid, it's not actually a loop, it's like a it's it's like a conveyor belt. It's constantly moving. So like all storms pass. And, or think of every heartbreak you ever had, like in high school, it's past, right? Um, so, 
sometimes like I can get into a funk, I can have a, a, a weird thought, but now it doesn't freak me out or bother me because I know it's going to pass. If you can hang on to your seat, you know, if it's really bad, zip your mouth, you know, like do whatever you need to do to kind of minimize damage and just know it's going to pass. The relief of knowing that this is not who you are, that it's not, um, it doesn't mean anything about you. It's just some interference that you kind of like innocently tuned into right now. It kind of takes the sting, the toxicity out of it. And, and you'll find that you'll like, like with those kids soap bubbles, it'll, you know, it'll just start to pop the more you see that to be true. So even in these moments, you're still not suggesting any type of action or distraction or taking yourself away from it. You're saying to just be with it. Right. Because not even be with it. It's like observe it because any kind of reaction to it is going to bring more of it on, you know, any kind of analyzing or, um, or digging in or, or even trying to, you know, reframe change. It's actually just more thinking because once you kind of really get this, you'll see that, um, there isn't anything that isn't thought, that we actually live in a, a thought-created world 100% of the time. So whether I'm feeling hunger, pain, frustration, um, any of those things, I only know it because I had a thought about it. Now, you're right. Most people who come and hear me talk, they'll say, yeah, but everybody has a yeah, but, right? It's quite natural. Yeah, but I have you know, no job. How, how am I going to feed my kids? You can't say that's thinking. Or yeah, but I've got an MRI that says, you know, like I've got spine degeneration. You can't say that's thinking. Um, but how would you know any of that stuff unless you had a thought about it? So what I started seeing is there's, there could be the situation and then there's my thoughts about it. There's the pain and then there's my thoughts about it. And my thoughts about it are what creating the experience and we all innocently get caught up in that stuff sometimes. But once I step back and just see it as um, just clouds going by, once they've gone by, the sun is still there, right? The blue sky didn't go away. It just got covered up. And one of my friends, his name's Jack Pransky, has a beautiful book called Seduced by Consciousness. And there's a quote in the middle. I just want to, maybe we can finish up with this one because this quote is just like, he kind of nails it. He says, um, one second, I turn the page. He says, all we are is peace, love, and wisdom and the power to create the illusion that we are not. And like, when I see that and I see the innocence of when we get caught up in the illusion and we forget that really we are just peace, love, and wisdom, resilience, courage, all those amazing things. And I see through the illusion, and I just have compassion for myself for getting caught up in thought for a moment, or even a couple of days, you know, depending on what people's experiences. It's going to pass, you know. There, and any yeah, but is really um, just another another bunch of thinking. Okay. There's yeah. I mean, we're just thinking about thinking about thinking. We're yes. thinking about the thought about the thought about the thought about exactly. the thought. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Layer upon layer of thought. Yeah. But you know what? Even if there's a hundred layers, it only takes one new thought to see through the illusion. The illusion. I love that. Oh my gosh. I know at the beginning I told you that I never even get through half my questions. I could just spend like another hour with you. <laughs> I think we just scratched the, like we just barely scratched over the surface. <laughs> well, we could do, we could do another one. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's probably going to have to happen uh, for sure. Um, just to kind of, I, I, I'm kind of thinking about people are probably like, they keep saying three principles. What are they? <laughs> so I, I want to just like make mention, and we've really, we've, we've, we went deep into one thought, mm-hmm. thoughts one. Mm-hmm. And then we have consciousness, which you, you, we briefly went into it where you gave the really beautiful um, symbolism of the elevator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, the third one is mind. Yeah. And, and in a sense, you kind of went over that because I know this was a hard one for me to grasp because when I think of mind, I think of very different, like my association or my thought to mind is very different in my um, education than the way it's understood in the three principles, which the mind is the infinite. The mind is the God, the source energy, the, the all knowing, correct? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I think Sid Banks was really wise in not choosing the word God because that's kind of what he's talking about. But God has such a, the connotations for people from their childhood or, or you know, things that have been uncomfortable in the past. It's, we, we don't want to get, you know, lose people before we've even started. So um, I think he chose the word mind and it took me a while to like catch on to this. But the way he explains it is it's the intelligence of the universe. And intelligence mm-hmm. is held in the mind. So it's kind of like mind with a capital M. And it's a loving force. It's a loving intelligence that wants the best for me, that has my back. And that's how I'm able to let go and become the observer because there's this intelligence that is already um, making my heart beat, like making my lungs work, healing my, my pain, healing my broken heart, healing, you know, our minds are strong. Right. If our bodies have an innate intelligence to heal, so do our minds, because that's the incredible way we're made. And so having that um, belief system that, 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 that there is something looking after us that's, that's running the universe and you can come up with whatever concept makes sense to you. There's, there's, no, there's no determination here. But I choose to, to have um, faith and, and believe that something is it's, has a, it's a benevolent force. That I, I personally can't subscribe to the idea that um, my mind is is doing things that are trying to trip me up and get me and distract me and all that kind of stuff. Um, I know that makes sense to a lot of people, but when you kind of step back and just see that as more thinking, and it's kind of fearful thinking, that when you kind of see that there's actually nothing to be fra- afraid of, it's um, it's kind of smoke and mirrors, and that there's this loving energy, this loving intelligence that's running the universe why would that intelligence want anything but the best for me? So mm. that to me um, enabled, because I work with a lot of people also with health anxiety. And, and if I point them in the direction of there's something loving and caring, taking care of them, it already is, whether they acknowledge it or not, it kind of goes a little way towards relieving some of that anxiety that they can kind of let go a little bit and just trust that there, there actually is nothing wrong um, and then they kind of get a bit more open to listening to what we're talking about. Yeah, I love this explanation. That even helps me because I was like, well, I have this whole like different idea what the mind is, right? And yeah, a mind with a capital M because it is the innate intelligence that is already within me. Yes, that's beautiful. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have mind, thought, and consciousness. Yeah. So if people are really, um, if we're piquing people's curiosity here <laughs> and they want to learn more, they want to um, connect with you, where can they find you? How can they connect with you? And then we'll also uh, get into where they can find your book. Sure. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Hannah Studley. 
Um, I have um, a Facebook group. It's called uh, TMS Chronic Pain and the Three Principles. Um, please come and join us. It's uh, there's, I think there's over 1,800 people now and like amazing um, comments and posts and people's experiences of how this, these ideas are helping them. Um, I have a website. It's my name, hannahstudley.com, which is spelled C-H-A-N-A-S-T-U-D-L-E-Y.com. And uh, there's information there about all my different programs. And I have two books. They're both on Amazon. Like you said, the first one is called The Myth of Low Self-Esteem, and that's a novel about um, recovering from trauma and an introduction to these ideas. And the second one is Painless, um, which is um, a novel about chronic pain and the mind-body connection. Um, and please, um, I, I, um, I actually have just started um, a book club. Um, a lady was so taken with the book, she actually formed a book club. And I thought, I got jealous. I thought, I want to do that. It's my book. I should be able to have it. So I'm just actually opened up a second one and I have a few places left if anybody wants to join in a, um, to study some more of these ideas um, that are laid out in that book. So um, that's, that's, that's awesome. what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, can they buy your books anywhere besides Amazon or are they only on Amazon? Um, no, they're, they're only on, I mean, if you live, live in Jerusalem, you can come by and pick one up, but, um, I have a few here, but, um, yeah, it's, it's on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. I'm just such a, I love supporting like more small businesses. So I'm yeah. always looking for alternative options. Yeah, to sure. <laughs> All right. And, and what would be, if we were going to like, if you were going to just, um, we were going to send people off on their day and, um, say our goodbyes, what would be your final piece of your kind of like culminating advice, like your, your ultimate like wisdom that you would want to share if you could only share like one message? Yeah. Um, I guess what just came into my head is what my teacher, Bill Pettit, who's a psychiatrist of 50 years and, and was mentored by Sydney Banks for probably 30 years. He always says, we're never broken and we don't need fixing, right? you you don't you don't need fixing there's actually nothing wrong with you and i always say like god doesn't make garbage and so once you see that to be true that you're always feeling your thinking and that you're living a thought created world you're able to step back and be free of the tyranny of of what we used to see as truth and i now see it as just um it's just it was it was all an illusion and real truth starts to emerge when you when you see all this to be true. So beautifully said. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, I really just want to um, emphasize again that I appreciate being here with you today. I I loved our conversation. I feel like I learned so much, and I'm sure everyone listening is going to learn from you today. And what's really awesome is I I got to even I you know learn just new things and different perspectives coming from you that I hadn't even heard, heard from you before. So that was really awesome. It's, it's been, I, I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's really nice for me to talk to someone who's really curious about this rather than saying, yeah, but <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I, I've enjoyed it too, because it's, it's given me an opportunity to, to share, you know, with people what, what has been such an amazing experience for me. So thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. I look forward to part two and I hope you enjoy the rest of, uh, well, I guess it's nighttime there. So I hope you enjoy tonight and the rest of your yeah. week. <laughs> Thanks again, Hannah. You're welcome. Good night. Friends. That is a wrap for today. I hope that today's episode gave you some new perspective and opened a door into possibility. 
And I do want to remember to mention that if you have a story that you would like to share, please reach out to me and let's connect. And don't forget to take a new route this week on foot or in car. (laughs) And until next time, make this week great. 